Hi, and welcome back to Psychiatry XR. I'm your host for this episode, Jessica Hagen, and I'm joined by my co-host, Faiza Arshad. We're excited to welcome our guest, Dr. Walter Greenleaf, to the podcast. Dr. Greenleaf is a neuroscientist and a medical technology developer at Stanford University with over three decades of research and product development experience in digital medicine and medical virtual reality technology, Walter is considered a leading authority in the medical XR sector. He is a visiting scholar at Stanford University's Virtual Human Interaction Lab and the Director of Technology Strategy at the University of Colorado National Mental Health Innovation Center. He also serves on the Science Advisory Board of several medical product companies. Walter, thank you for joining us today. I'm very excited to be here with you. You have been an integral part and influential person within the medical extended reality sector for some time. Can you tell me about your role in medical XR and how long you've been involved in exploring the use of immersive technology in medicine? Well, sure. It's it's a bit hard to describe my role. I guess the phrase that I've been using lately is that um, I'm what is called a translational neuroscientist, meaning I work with um, academic groups who are doing some of the basic research that enables some of the next generation of products that we have in behavioral medicine. I help them uh, understand what's needed. I help them migrate what they're working on out to uh, the commercial arena. And I work with many of the early stage companies, uh, what we call series A, series B, in terms of their stage of financing. I help them um, understand um, uh, both what the academic groups are bringing to the table and then also refine their product direction. I'm cross-trained in both um, science and research, but also product development. I've had the opportunity to start several um, um, medical product companies. And then I also work to take these earlier stage companies and help them move forward and connect with um, the larger pharmaceutical or medical device or healthcare networks to really get these products out. So I, it's, the role is more of a activating enzyme that tries to move things forward and take it to the next level. Yeah, you're very much a liaison in both the academic world and the business realm of XR. So how do you balance the dialectic of being in both worlds? Well, it's really, um, uh, I think in a way, it's almost a matter of uh, being bilingual or trilingual. Uh, all these worlds uh, are working together to address some um, problems that have been uh, haunting us as a as a culture and as a species for a long time. We're, we're all on the same side, and but we don't always understand the needs, the constraints, the um, requirements for moving new interventions and assessments in, in medicine forward. So to me, it's just a, a matter of understanding um, the language, the perspectives, and then bringing people together. It's, it's not really hard, uh, and it, it's a lot of fun, and it makes a big difference. And I've heard you speak at several different conferences where you kind of drill in the importance of working together in the medical XR space and to truly make an impact on patients, researchers, and businesses. So why do you think that it's important for these different sectors to work together, especially as XR is evolving? That's a very good question, and there's several different answers. Um, I, I do feel that at this stage of, um, well, first of all, in healthcare in general, we're, we're all on the same side. 
but there are different investment groups, different um, um, companies that um, have similar products that compete with each other to, to be the dominant player in their arena. But for medical XR, it's not the case at all. It's like a unexplored continent where we have different um, groups that have landed on, on the beach and are trying to make their way and move to what we want to do to make a difference in psychiatry, psychology, behavioral medicine, mental health care, to move it forward. And there's such an acute need and applications we're moving forward are gonna make such a big difference that I think there is more of a congruence of interest to raise awareness of the, both the, the, the patients and the clinicians and the reimbursement agencies and the healthcare networks about the value of what we're bringing forward. And in many ways, change sort of the perspective and the culture of this part of medicine to have uh, people appreciate that a layer of technology can help and make a big difference as opposed to uh, uh, being a barrier between the clinician and the patient. I also think that we're establishing new standards. We need to come up with data sets that are um, unbiased that we can use in a federated manner so that uh, different groups can um, contribute to evolving large data sets for better assessments. And we can help each other so much by helping the arena grow if we find pathways to work together. And, and I think by and large, that is what's happening. So most, of the, most of the groups that are in this area are finding ways to help each other and move everything forward. It is a very unique community in that regard, where people are very open to speaking with each other and learning about what the other companies are doing. And I think that's very important. Let's hope we can keep that um, uh, uh, sense of community and collaboration and working together um, um, as we move forward. Absolutely. And Walter, what are some barriers to the competitive nature within the business realm that you see negatively impacting the XR space? Like what are some um, gaps that need to be addressed? Well, I think right now, um, part of what's holding us back is that there's not a lot of portability between different hardware platforms. If a product is developed on the Oculus Quest and another product is developed on the HTC Vive, another product is on the Pico system, and a clinic wants to bring in these products, they don't want to have a variety of headsets. Plus, even if they are on the same headset, they don't necessarily have the same uh, heuristics, the same user interface, the same data structures. So there's a lot of work of coming up with an ecosystem that allows us to move very powerful products forward in a way that uh, makes sense. So I think that's where there's an opportunity to together establish some agreed upon standards of, as we come up with new ways of measuring objective measurements of mood and, and uh, cognitive functioning, as we come up with um, better VR-enabled, AR-enabled challenges to, uh, to evoke a response that we can use for helping with um, post-traumatic stress or with phobias or with addictions. Uh, we need to have some standard shared data sets. It's part of how we do research in other parts of the scientific and medical arena. And our, our arena needs to establish that too. So that's one of the barriers is uh, some technology disparities, um, some lack of um, perception by the healthcare networks of the value of our products, and then um, an easy way to share data and to share 
VR experiences that can be part of uh, um, a clinical trial, for example. Absolutely. There's also this kind of nomenclature that needs to be established still as far as medical XR goes. That's right. Um, you know, VR, AR, XR, MR, um, um, extended reality, medical extended reality. There's a, a number of uh, terms. And then within that, some sort of subterms that uh, are still floating around. So uh, that's one good spot for us to start. And you talked about building that ecosystem and, and making sure that we have agreed upon standards. How would you suggest clinicians work with industry folks to improve the value of XR in patient care and to really build that ecosystem? Who do you see as being important stakeholders, um, for example, clinicians? Well, I think um, I think everybody is required to contribute to the dialogue. We need to hear um, what um, the full stack of people who are providing care, uh, if a, a clinic owner or a clinic manager says, we're bringing this new technology and they don't get feedback from the people who are actually deploying it with the patients about how it's gonna impact if it causes them to need to stay later at night or who's gonna charge the batteries. So. It really needs to be everybody who's being impacted by the implication of the technology, including in a hospital, uh, the people that are involved in uh, IT and making sure that the data is secure and that any systems that are on the network are, are um, not gonna open up a breach and provide access to uh, patient information. We also need to, of course, understand the patients. We need to understand the payers. We need to have everybody contribute to this dialogue. And I think, one thing that we do need to pay special attention to is as we start coming up with these uh, normative data sets of both evocative environments that might be used to uh, evoke a cognitive state and, and come up with a way of uh, assessment, uh, we need to make sure they're culturally diverse, age appropriate, and, uh, and more than culturally diverse, also um, cognitive function diverse. We need to come up with a large library of, um, of systems that can be used in a standardized way for clinical trials and for uh, uh, measuring patient progress. So there's many things that need to be done. The good news is there's already um, uh, a lot of the building blocks are there. We just need to sort of have a dialogue of how to uh, describe them, how to share them, and how to position them. Since this is psychiatry XR, um, what do you see as being the primary purpose um, of psychiatrists in this realm? How can they really contribute to being helpful in improving um, extended reality for patient care? Oh, in so many ways. Uh, we need to understand uh, how they feel uh, what we think will be useful to them really is what makes it um, useful for them in terms of both uh, um, extending their reach so they can help people when they're not in the clinic. We need to understand um, um, what is valuable to them in terms of a report about the use of the technology, what is extraneous information, what is a, uh, what is a time saver and what is a time consumer, and what, uh, what is the economic impact of bringing technology into their practice? Uh, will, it, um, uh, will it be revenue neutral? Will it cause them to need to invest uh, 
both time and resources to get it going. But after that, it, it moves forward in a, in a positive way. And how will it impact their particular sector of care? There's so many different indications that they're addressing. And we may have something that would help with what we think is a particular uh, group of patients, but there's different subtypes within that. And again, the culture we need to make sure that we're not excluding anyone by having something that is um, you know, not appropriate for them culturally. And also we need to make sure we keep the patient safe, that if we're, for example, treating uh, post-traumatic stress using a virtual environment to do exposure therapy, that we give the clinicians enough control and viewpoints on what's going on so that they can um, uh, use these very powerful tools for exposure uh, in a way that is under their control and safe for the patient. So there's, uh, but these dialogues aren't hard to have, but we need to have. Yeah. And I think what you're also referring to is that there's so many important lessons that we can learn from the different subgroups that are involved in uh, medical XR. And so what are some of those lessons that you think we should be taking away? Or in other words, where do you see the most promise for immersive technologies in patient care? In the field of uh, psychiatry, I feel that one of the things that XR will bring is more objective measurements. All too often when we're uh, providing a, uh, a therapy, it might be uh, a medication, for example. We, um, we ask the patient to self-report on how they're doing or how did they do last week? And that's there's a problem with recall. There's a problem with really assessing your own feelings and describing them accurately. And then there's maybe people who are symptom magnifying or symptom minimizing. So the more we can use the technology we, we bring to come up with more objective, reproducible evaluations, uh, it gives a roadmap to the clinician to help uh, um, make choices of care and manage progress. I think the other... Um, thing that we can we can bring to the field that uh, in addition to more objective measurements is more effective tools to um, allow a clinician to teach skills to their patients. Uh, if we can evoke an, a mood, we can evoke a cognitive state, we can teach the patient through cognitive behavioral therapy and other approaches how to manage that response to a trigger. So we have a very powerful way for them to go beyond just asking the patient to imagine how to respond to a situation. We can give them a, a, an arena where they can practice that and, um, and practice it on their own as homework and then come back and, and practice it with the clinician's guidance. So we're giving them new tools beyond just conversation and prescription writing to make a and recommending cognitive behavioral therapy approaches to really impact the patient and to record their progress. I think the other thing that we can do, and we still have a lot of work to make this uh, fully functional, is we can identify different biotypes. If you're treating depression or you're treating anxiety or you're treating uh, uh, any of the serious mental illnesses, within that diagnosis, there's different subpopulations who will respond differently to different approaches. And identifying which subpopulation a patient may be in will save a lot of time, a lot of effort, and, and make it more likely to have a successful outcome. And we're starting to be able to do that with the, the use of uh, uh, wearable sensors, um, uh, machine learning and analytics, and using VR as a um, 
evocative and uh, response uh, measuring environment. So as you brought up, there's a lot of different uh, aspects within technology that are expanding as far as wearables and you know, AI is really making an impact in the healthcare space as far as data collection, data analytics go. Uh, there's a lot of talk about the metaverse and how this is going to affect you know, society in general. And what are your thoughts on the metaverse and how do you think that medical XR kind of fits into that idea? Well, uh, when it comes to the metaverse, we need to see beyond the name, the term, and all the hype behind it. Uh, in many ways, we've had um, a metaverse in various forms uh, for a long time. Um, what is new and what is exciting is that that concept of having us have a presence in a shared virtual environment, all too often, especially in the clinical virtual environments, serve a lonely experience. It's you doing something and interacting with something, but you often don't have a third-person view of yourself. And also, where's everybody else? And I think what's going to come out of um, this excitement about the metaverse as, as it becomes more of a social platform, more as a, a way for people to work, to have a meeting as an avatar instead of a, a Zoom call, a video call, it's going to allow us to have better avatars in behavioral medicine. What's missing right now in behavioral medicine is shared virtual environments where um, if we do have a shared virtual environment, uh, now people tend to be robotic. They don't have facial expressions. They don't have great body language, nonverbal communication. We can't easily hug another avatar. We can't easily shake hands with another avatar. Or if we're in a group of people in a virtual world talking and somebody else walks up to join our conversation, we automatically, as humans, adjust our position to welcome them into the group, or if we're, for some reason, don't want to welcome them into the group, we signal that too non-verbally. Our avatars don't have any of that non-verbal communication right now, and that's such an important part of conveying emotional state, conveying uh, um, community and togetherness or not, and we just don't have that. So I think what the metaverse will bring to uh, psychiatry, psychology, behavioral medicine in general is better um, better avatars, better nonverbal communication as part of those avatars, and more richer communities to do things in, which is the platform for healthcare. Sounds like you see a lot of promise in it. Do you see drawbacks? Are there things that you think people need to be careful as they develop this metaverse to really take into consideration as far as behavioral health goes? In general, I worry about having a monoculture uh, having things being sort of homogenized or having things be not accessible. I think we need to design for providing access to people with disabilities as we build the metaverse. We need to make sure that people are safe in the metaverse, not, not in a position to be harassed. It's just like any community. We need to make sure that we're designing it the right way and looking out for it. You know, it's going to be wonderful for the field of psychiatry to be able to take our behavior in a virtual environment as a measurement of, uh, of how we're doing uh, um, cognitively and emotionally. It's also, though, going to be easier for companies that want to sell us things, for companies that want to, governments that might want to identify the radicals within their, their uh, populace uh, to exploit the affordances we're gaining by having 
affective computing, where we study the emotions that are presented by our behavior in these virtual environments. Uh, that can be used for really amazing things to improve healthcare. It can also be used in a deleterious way. So I think we need to get ahead of it and come up with the right uh, guidelines for proper use of this technology because it is very easy to come up with a score for someone's um, skills, aptitudes, but also their challenges and their uh, weak points and how how to how to exploit them. And so we need to make sure that we are very careful about this very rich data we will be able to harvest by the building the metaverse. And again, I think in our field, uh, looking at psychiatry, we're going to be able to um, really do much more precision medicine, but let's just hope it doesn't allow other people to do precision exploitation. I'm curious to know how you would like to see XR being used in psychiatric care, say 20 years from now, um, and, and what we need to do to solve, what, what do we need to solve to get there? Well, I think uh, what would be ideal is if we can have a way for people to understand themselves and understand the people that are part of their system and look out for each other right from the very beginning. Using um, these motifs of the metaverse for people to learn social emotional skills, learn how to do emotional first aid to our friends, uh, have it be a way where we can choose to express um, our strengths and maybe be aware of uh, our weaknesses. So I guess this I would put in the side of health and wellness and preventative medicine for stress, anxiety, et cetera. And I would also love for, for people when they do have a problem uh, to be able to have the tools that a clinician or a coach or an advisor can use to help them, uh, again, understand more about themselves and to to um, be successful. And again, I, I hope we're able to do a good job with designing for disabilities and not just physical disabilities and impairments, but also cognitive ones so that people who have different learning styles, different approaches to issues who maybe need to work on a problem like anger management, where we can give them the, the tools to get help and to maybe do some self Self-care too in these arenas. So, you know, I, th I think there's great potential, but um, again, we're we're designing the metaverse now, so we have to look downstream uh, to decide where we want to be and, and build around that foundation. Walter, thank you so much for your insight today. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners? I guess um, I would ask your your um, your listeners to identify what they feel is both the most exciting aspect of this technology and most, what's the most worrisome. And then talk to the people who are building these um, environments about your concerns and about your excitement. I think that's really what's gonna make this a wonderful um, arena is if we can make sure that the people who are building it uh, hear from the people who will be using it, uh, the, the clinicians and also the patients. So. I think the more we can just have conversations like this, the better. Thank you again for your time. We very much appreciate it. Been wonderful to have this conversation with you. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Psychiatry XR. We hope you gained a new perspective on using extended reality in healthcare. And thanks for listening. This episode was brought to you by Psychiatry XR, the psychiatry podcast about immersive technology and mental health. 
For more information about Psychiatry XR, visit our website at psychiatryxr.com. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and tune in again next month to hear from another guest about XR use in psychiatric care. You can join us monthly on Apple Podcasts, Twitter, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Psychiatry XR was produced by Dr. Kim Bullock, Faiza Arshad, and myself, Jessica Hagen. Please note this podcast is distinct from Dr. Bullock's clinical teaching and research roles at Stanford University. The information provided is not medical advice and should not be considered or taken as a replacement for medical advice. A big thanks to Austin Hagen for music and audio production. See you next time. Thank you.